Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I'm Gittas Whelan and with me this evening is Steve Carroll. How are you, Steve? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very good, very good, because we've got a win to discuss. The first home win of the season, only our second win overall, and that's where we're going to start, Steve. Huddersfield Town, dare I say it, a very comfortable 1-0 victory for the Swans. Yeah, it was. Um, the, the only criticism, I suppose, we could level at them was that should really have been more comfortable, uh, shouldn't it? Um, the first half was very dominant. Um, I think we, we were okay in the second half. We definitely faded, I think, after the subs as well. Um, you know, that sort of took the sting out of it a little bit. We, we didn't really have any much creativity uh, on the pitch at that stage. But, I mean, it, it was a very good performance, though, wasn't it? Um, and there was plenty to be uh, encouraged about, I would say, and I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, and, and Joe, what really encouraged me was straight away from the start, we were on the front foot and we were in Huddersfield fa- Huddersfield's faces. It was as if we'd really um, kept going after the Luton second half, where we very much played that way. And it's something that I don't think we've done enough of this season. I think we've had a tendency to start on the back foot, to invite teams onto us um, needlessly, really. Um, you know, most of our games have started with... Uh, a dodgy moment from a goalkeeper, you know, try, uh, taking very long over a clearance and, and playing ourselves into trouble. And we've, you know, it, it was very rare for us to actually take the lead. It's only, I think, the third time that we've actually been in the lead this se- uh, this season. So I, that was one of the most encouraging things for me. I thought we pressed very well, which is something we've very rarely done as a club, even when we have played very good football. We've we've not really been known for our um, effective pressing game, but we really got in Huddersfield's faces and they, I think, tried to play out from the back, not very well, admittedly, um, but, but we made it very difficult for them and we forced them to clear it. We forced them into mistakes and that, again, just helped us onto the front foot. And it's, I thought it was just nice to see us set the tone and and set that tempo very early on. And I just thought it really made it easier for us to play the way that we want us to play. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the, it was, the, the press was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because it really did work for us. I mean, there was a, a couple of instances where Huddersfield gave the ball away in bad areas, a bit like what we've done maybe in, in some games, as you've alluded to. But if, if we're being honest, we, we probably should have punished them more for that. I mean, there was the... The Patterson chance, I remember, especially just after we've uh, we'd taken the lead, and that was you know a big chance where he should really have hit the target, for example. But like like you say, we I mean, we were we did start on the front foot. I think in the other two home games recently, to be fair, we I wouldn't say we were there were too many like mistakes early on as such. I mean, you look at the early season games, especially. I mean, at Blackburn it was shaky. I know against Stoke, I think we conceded quite early, didn't we? I remember with Bender in the Sheffield United game, he got charged down in the first five minutes. So there, there were definitely a few heart in the moments. Uh, sorry, heart in the mouth moments, weren't there in, in some of the earlier games? But I think we seem to be coming away from that a bit now, which is encouraging. And you know, I think we always said, didn't we, that this was going to take time. I mean, um, you know, manager came in just before the start of the season, and you know, a lot of the players have changed. And you know, it was impossible to expect us to be the finished article straight away, but. You know, I, I don't think we are at this stage anywhere near that either, mind. But at the same time, yeah. I can see us making progress. And, and that's what we've been looking for, isn't it? And, you know, it's small steps. But, um, you know, the, I think there's things to be encouraged about, isn't there? And that, that's the thing, isn't it? We, we're just looking for those constant just signs that we are just slowly getting better. And I thought we saw that. Um, we, we probably saw that in the, in the last two home games against Hull and Millwall, where 
obviously there was an there was a real element of frustration that we couldn't get the wins um and and plenty that needed to be worked on in attacking sense but the passing was much more solid we were better at the back um and then of course we went to Luton obviously you know you said that it's not the finished article we were 3-0 down within 23 minutes at Luton so definitely a lot of work to be done there but that second half was the best I'd seen us play in ages and I think everybody who was at Luton was just hoping okay can we keep that going and you know the Brighton game. We made a lot of changes, but um, you know we'll get on to discuss that in a bit. Um, you know the general consensus was that there were a lot of encouraging signs there as well in the way that we played and the way we created chances. And then you get to a game like um, Huddersfield at the weekend, where actually we we would I think it's fair to say dominant. Um, and again, first half like we've been saying created a lot of chances. Um, second half just saw it out. And it's, again, another sign of progression. And I, I, I wrote in my column for the Evening Post of the weekend how, you know, it's it's unreasonable to expect blind faith from, from fans, in fairness. As much as we call for patience, etc., you do still need to see those um, signs that things are getting better and that things are, no matter how gradual, just moving in the right direction. And I think that is what we've seen over the last few weeks. Um, and it's great then that we've been able to go that one extra step and and get a win then and get three points to, again, just, just add to that feeling. But let's talk about the goal because, you know, when, when we talk about the kind of football the Swans want to play, this is the kind of goals. These are the kind of goals that we want to see, aren't they? I mean, it was just a really nicely worked team goal finished off by a striker who's really in form now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, it was just a lovely uh, move, wasn't it? And I think that, you know, that you've got to really pick out the stand-up moment has been that little flick really from Patterson that puts Piro in and I don't know about you but when he gets in like that I'm thinking well, this is going to go in you don't always get that feeling with uh, with strikers I mean you could probably count on one hand the amount of strikers that get in that position and you think it's going to be a goal I remember Jason Scotland springs to mind straight away if he got in you'd be like oh, don't worry this is going in the Trundle to an extent I think he was usually pretty good in that situation I remember Leon Knight years ago, he if he got in a one-on-one, you'd be thinking, well, no problem. He'll uh, he has those for breakfast. Um, then Michu was probably one of the ultimate uh, ones as well. But I've, I've heard just... a lot of people make that comparison over the weekend with Michu and Piru, which obviously you know that that's if you're a Swansea fan, that's as high a compliment as you can pay to a goal scorer. But um, do you see similarities there in in style of play and the way he operates? Um. I suppose there is to an extent. I mean, what, what I do like about Piro is that he does get a sight of goal. He's not afraid to to pull the trigger. I mean, he's not sometimes looking for that extra touch or, or anything like that. He, he'll just hit it. There'll be no messing about. And I think that's got to be quite refreshing because I think sometimes people do just maybe look for that extra option or something like that. But you can tell this guy wants to score goals. There's there's no doubt in it. And um, yeah, I suppose there is. I, I can see some similarities. Uh, he's there with it. And, and obviously, the the left-footed thing is is another one probably that uh, that stands out from it. But you know, um, Piro will have a bit of a way to go. We need to have the Michu impact, but he's definitely becoming a bit of a, a fans' favourite. And if, if we're being honest, I mean, he hasn't had a great deal of, of goal-scoring chances. A lot of them have been maybe the half chances where he's taken it. And what's he got? Five or six goals, I think, so far. So it's going to be very of- encouraging for us, isn't it? Yeah, there's a bit of a mix in there as well, isn't there? There's not like a one type of goal that he scores. Um, I mean, he's the goal that he scored against um, Huddersfield, a nice give and go, and then, um, you know, making a nice run in behind. Um, 
but kind of similar, I guess, to the goal they scored against Preston, where there was a you know a nice flick on that played him in on goal. Um, but you know we've seen him score a header against Stoke. We've seen him score from outside the box um, against I think both Bristol City and Luton. So there is a bit of a variety to the goals that he's scoring as well. And um, I mean that that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean the other way to look at it as well is there's like there's two left-footed goals in there and there's two right-footed goals. Well. You know, that that's a bit of a Jason Scotland, really, isn't it? He could go with both feet. So that's got to be hugely encouraging because, I mean, if you always look at Lee Trundle as a good example, I mean, an incredible player and all that. But if you did force him onto his right foot, he wasn't quite the same. And that was probably a good way of trying to nullify him. Whereas it looks like with Piro at the moment that he does favour his left, but he's not afraid to go with his right either in the right circumstance. And like I say, I mean, it probably was a little bit similar in some ways to the Preston goal, but... It's two goals with his uh, right foot now as well. That's, I think that's got to be a big plus point for us because if you, if you are good with both feet, it's hell of a weapon to have in your armory, isn't it? Yep. And uh, j- just to show how how good a player Joel Piru is, uh, he uh, drew an apology on Twitter from one of our former directors who had uh, previously uh, claimed he would be the worst player that we would ever sign uh, over the summer. So. Um, a certain uh, a certain Dutchman was eating humble pie over the weekend uh, after his goal against uh, Huddersfield. One of the players who I think I, everybody agrees was man of the match, Steve uh, Flynn Downs. Now, I I thought he was fantastic. I I thought he just controlled that midfield, gave fantastic protection to the back four, just killed all of Huddersfield's build-up play. I'm starting to really like Downs, I'll be honest. I'm I'm starting to think that there is a real player there because and and just in many ways the kind of player that we haven't had in in a long while, which we've been calling out for. We haven't had that n- just nasty player in midfield who is just an enforcer, you know, that physical presence. And for such a young player, he seems to play with, you know, with with the kind of well, he, t- he just plays like a player who's much older and possibly from a different generation, but he's got that kind of nastiness to his game and that defensive solidity. But he, I think he's also proven that he's a he's a good little passer of the ball as well. Um, and he can be depended upon when he's on the ball. And I, yeah, he, he just seems to be growing all the time. And he looks like a player who's going to enjoy playing in this this style of play. Yeah, I think he's, as you say, I mean, he's made a great impact, hasn't he, so far? I think everybody's been really pleased with him. Obviously, Russell Martin would have seen a fair bit of him last season. He was in the same division as as MK Dons, weren't they, Ipswich? So, obviously, it's somebody that he, he'd made a note of. And, as you say, he, he really did have an excellent game. I mean, there were a couple of challenges he put in that, you know, he pulled them off to perfection, really, winning the ball for us. And, like I said, just sort of destroyer of attacks. And I, I think, as well, good on the ball. So, he's... It's an all-round player as well, really, isn't he? I think that's what's really encouraging about him. And what I like about what, what we seem to be doing now, we're buying these younger players who, you know, we, we think they're going to improve with us and then either hopefully they'll take us on to another level or there'll be a resale value in them at some point as well. So I think, you know, our, our strategy has started to look quite good. I know we, we did discuss it on last week's podcast about that, didn't we? But, yeah, I think Downs could be a bit of a fan's favourite and, I mean, I've heard a couple of my mates have said as well, they think he could be a future captain, really, because if you think about it, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Grimes was to move on um, in the summer. So that obviously means then there will be the armband up for grabs. And you'd have to say that, you know, even though it's early days, you know, this time next year, he could easily be a, a very good candidate for that, couldn't he? 
Yeah, I mean, he plays that way. And, um, well, Ipswich are definitely missing him. They've only won once um, all season. So, um, you know, I'm sure they could... Uh, and they've been shipping goals as well. So I'm sure they could have uh, used him this season. Um, I mean, how how impressed should do you think we should be with this performance? Because, obviously, the other side of the coin is that the Huddersfield were poor. I mean, their fans have slated the performance as much as we say that, you know, our press... Uh, made life difficult for them and that we you know we did brilliantly to create the chances that we did in the first half there's no doubt that that they didn't look like a team who um should have been in such a high position um as as the one they occupied before kickoff um how much of a corner do you think we've turned or how how much of a step forward rather i should say do you think this this win is um it's hard to tell really isn't it i mean you can uh, it's just one game, essentially, isn't it, getting the win? But, you know, I think since the international break, we have seen signs of improvement. And if you take that mad half at Luton away, we've, we've probably done OK in every other half of football, at least. And obviously there's been some, like the first half the other day, like the second half at Luton, where we really have shown a lot. And I, th- I definitely think there's there's reasons to be encouraged. I mean, uh, I still think there could be, you know, a few bumps in the road, without a doubt. And, you know, there's... This division, I mean, it's, it's so hectic. I mean, we got another two games this week and then we got another break. I mean, it's it can be difficult. And obviously, we've had a few injuries and COVID-related absences, haven't we? I mean, we were without Ryan Bennett and Michael Oberfemi the other day. And, I mean, when we looked at the bench, I mean, it, it really did sort of show, didn't we? They were, were still a little bit short. And I mean, when Puro went off, Patterson and Cham went off. And I was looking at Cullen and I think Fulton came on, didn't he? And, you know... I just didn't see a scoring again at that point. I mean, luckily, um, you know, we, we didn't need a goal, did we? But if we conceded, I don't think we would have been uh, winning the game then. So, you know, I, I still, there's definitely more to come from us, I think. But, um, you know, we're making uh, baby steps. Um, but we, we did need that win. I mean, as much as, you, you know, we, we want to see this good football, you always need some results just to keep you tied over, really. And like you are on about the blind faith earlier. And, yeah, I mean, you've... I mean, I was concerned at Luton when we were 3-0 down, for example. But, you know, I think on the whole, we have started to see an improvement. And I think there's reasons to be encouraged. But, you know, as we keep saying, the the phrase of patience, um, you know, there's I, I really don't think that uh, we're now going to start winning every week. I, I think it'll still be a bit of a, a mixed bag. But um, it's good to get those three points on the board, isn't it? And, um, you know, it takes that pressure off. And, you know, the, the fact that we haven't won at home has, has gone and... and you don't want that being a talking point, especially given that, you know, the next home game is, well, in my opinion, a must win, although I'm sure you'll disagree. <laughs> no, I'm not going to disagree. Well, it's a must not lose. I've always said that about the derby. But, I mean, you're right. If you go into the derby on the back of, what well, it would have been one win in 11 had we not managed to um, get a win against um, Huddersfield. So, you know, that's, that's a heck of a, a difference then. And suddenly you're going into the match thinking, OK, we've... We've only lost once at home all season and um, won the last one, 1-0. One so, you know, it's it's much more positive and it's definitely much more positive when uh, when, when your opposition has lost 5-1 in uh, their most recent game. So um, hopefully both teams can continue on their current uh, trajectories uh, heading into the derby. But um, there's, uh, there's still a couple of weeks to go before we get to that point. So we won't get too carried away with uh talking about Cardiff just yet. There's plenty of time for that in future. Um, the, the win against Huddersfield followed, of course, a defeat uh, in midweek against Brighton in the uh, Carabao Cup. 
Um, the, I mean, both teams made a lot of changes, as you'd expect for this match. Um, you know, the, the the League Cup is low on the list of priorities for both these sides this season, I would say, at least at, at the third round stage. Um, but, you know, it's seen from the highlights, Steve, and from what those who were there um, have been saying, that actually, once again, there were some positive signs, even though it wasn't the um, the, the, the complete performance by any means. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I wasn't at this game, but, um, you know, we made a lot of changes as, as we expected, and it's probably the right thing to do as well, given our priorities at the moment. But, yeah, we there were positives from it. It just seems a bit like... Um, our finishing really did let us down. I mean, Corey Smith in particular, really. Um, so in that sense, a little bit frustrating. But I mean, if I'm honest, it's probably not a bad thing we're out of it. I mean, I've already talked about a hectic schedule. That does mean now in October, there will be a free round for us, a free week, which is probably what we need. So, you know, um, we probably have to look at it like that. But we've, we've played a decent side and given the reasonable account of ourselves, haven't we? So, you know, it could, uh, it most certainly could have been worse Um in that sense, but um, you know, I don't think any of us really expected us to go there and win, did we? So, you know, we'll uh, we'll move on, won't we? And uh, no harm done, I would say. You know, do we need to be a bit worried about finishing? Because, um, well, let's face it, it wasn't a problem last week against Luton, was it? But in midweek, I mean, we spent a lot of good chances. First half against Huddersfield, there were some really good chances that we couldn't put away. You know, is is this something that needs a bit of work from the Swans? Well, I think we definitely do need to work at it. I mean, we, we're not scoring enough goals, are we? Um, the eight goals I think we've scored so far, and obviously three of them were in 20 minutes at Kenilworth Road. So, you know, I mean, in general, if if we, if we carry on as we are, we're going to end up with under 50 goals, aren't we? And then, you know, it's going to be a struggle to win a great deal of games in that sense. But... You know, you think of it, Oberfemi hasn't had many minutes yet, so I'm sure there'll be goals to come from him. Um, so I don't think we should be too concerned, but at the same time, when you know when the time comes and the, the transfer window reopens, I don't think either of us would probably complain, would be, if we brought in another creative player, because we do worry sometimes that um, maybe we're not going to create enough. Although in some of those games, to be fair, we it was more the finishing than, than the creativity, really. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think, you know, in general, it will take two to three transfer windows for the manager to get what he wants anyway. So, you know, we're bound to look in January if um, if that situation doesn't improve, I would have thought. Yeah, but I think we've seen, like I said, over the last few games, just, um, you know, signs that creativity is there, just need to find that finishing touch. And hopefully, you know, Piro's definitely got that finishing touch. Obafemi's, uh, you know, finding his way into uh, back into match fitness. We've got one or two options from midfield as well. Hopefully we'll... Um, We'll start seeing that change. Um, moving on from the games that we've seen this week, um, not much off-field news, but but the big one, I guess, is the departure of a uh, long-serving uh, club legend in Alan Tate. He's been here pretty much since um, 2000 and what 2002 when he would have first joined here at the Vetch. Um, you know, he spent pretty much his entire senior career uh, at the Swans, but. Um, He's uh, left this week to join Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest. A lot of nice messages for him, Steve. Um, I guess it wasn't a massive surprise as soon as the rumours came that he would be joining Steve Cooper. It, it it made sense, really, didn't it? Yeah, I I think so. Um, you know, let, let's be honest about it. Alan Tate, in all fairness, has come out and said that he wanted to be a manager. 
Um, so being moved over to being a lone player manager was never really going to satisfy him, was it? So I think as soon as he had this offer to become an assistant with Steve Cooper, then he had to take it. Simple as that. I mean, he, he could have taken the option of what some other legends have done in the past and probably just thought, right, well, I've got a nice little job here now. I'll, I'll stay here and I'll probably, probably turn into a job for life. Not necessarily that one, but you know, a bit like with Alan Curtis, he's done various roles in there and he's left once or twice and then ends up coming back. And there's there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, Kurt never wanted to be a manager, so it's perfect for him then just to be here. And obviously, with, he's a club legend. Everyone loves him. But um, I think with Tate, it's, it's a little bit different because I think he does want the, uh, to be a manager. So in that sense, he he's done the right thing. But, you know, it, it is disappointing. And I mean, not disappointing with him, but just the, the situation. I mean, the circumstances really... Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody in particular is is to blame. I mean, we'd have liked to have thought Russell Martin maybe would have wanted him to be on his coaching staff, but when a new manager comes in, everyone's got their own ideas. And, you know, it's it's, it's a difficult one at times. I remember when Kurt himself, um, with the whole Paul Clement situation, and that probably wasn't dealt with very well, where it appeared he was, you know, a lot of it was done by text, which, which isn't good. Um, but... You know, this I think this one was a little bit different, but um, you know, I mean, Alan Tate is is a Swans legend, isn't he? Through and through. I mean, I, I did put a tweet out the other day that says it does annoy me when people get referred to as legends who quite clearly are nowhere near legends because it devalues then somebody like Tate who's given us years of service, three hundred odd games, captain us I think in every division or one of the very few to play in every division for us. Played a huge part in again in this keeping us in the football league, and you know the, the rise up through the leagues. I mean, you know, and you know, he held up a certain flag in the Millennium Stadium. <laughs> always gave uh, interviews where he didn't mince his words. Quite often spoke like a fan. I mean, you know, the, the man is a, an absolute hero in in my eyes. Like, um, you know, and, and now he's not here anymore. There's there's no reason why he has to keep his mouth shut either. Yeah. I saw. Um, I saw. I just happened to see a video the other day of um, you say the the flag there. Um, his first match back after suspension um, for that flag incident when um, uh, he um, played against Scunthorpe away the following season. Yeah, I was at this game. And he got sent off a couple of minutes into uh, into his first appearance back, which uh, kind of summed up the 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 essence of Alan Tate really. Just this. You know, this he you know gave it his all every single time he's on the pitch, and he wasn't you know, he wasn't the perfect player by any means. But but my God, he you know he loved to tackle and he would give everything for the club, and he he really did you know, and he still he still does. I mean, clearly he is Swansea through and through, really. Um, and it wouldn't be surprised it wouldn't surprise me in any way um, if uh, we saw him outside the Liberty in a couple of weeks' time when uh, um, we've got a certain 12 o'clock Sunday kickoff. Um, you know, he's he's that, he's that kind of guy that he would love to be back for the derby, etc., because he's he's a fan as much as he is a, a former player. That's that's what Alan Tate is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could you could honestly see Alan Tate and the season ticket in East Stand, but like, you couldn't say that about many uh, ex-players, but... Like if he did it, it honestly wouldn't surprise me. And you know that's that's why people love him. He just comes across as that, you know, just a fan really um, that that loves it. And um, you know, I, I've met him a couple of times. I mean, I think after the last time we beat Cardiff, um, 
was in town and having a, a quick chat with him and you know he was as delighted as anybody because that that's him really but um yeah i think it'll be missed won't he i mean it as i say the word legends overused and you think there's not many legends really that are, are working for the club anymore i know we've seen a lot of them leave haven't we the last few years i mean obviously trundle's still involved and kurt now is more the um well it's the life president isn't he, he he's retired essentially which is completely fair enough at his age um Leon, like, I was going to say Leon's not there now, is he? And obviously, I know Monk was there for a long time. Although obviously it's quite a while ago that he left. Now Rangel is not there. Routledge is gone. Um, so it's a bit of a changing of the guard in some ways. Really, a lot of those those heroes and fans' favourites, people who've given us so much and have got so much experience, aren't really involved anymore. And it's it's a bit of a shame in some ways, isn't it? But um, you know that that's football. I suppose we have to find. Uh, find new heroes uh, now to an extent but um, I think personality wise especially I mean there's there'll only ever be one Tate I think won't there um, you know there's uh, certainly probably one of the most adopted Jacks we've ever had yeah he's, he's one of the last kind of remaining um, um, some relics from the, from the early 2000s uh, that were still left the club we still got Trundle obviously who is you know the chief of that group really but um, um, I, I was Rewatching the um the the documentary that the club made about the last season at the Vetch the other day, and you just get the impression that that group of players were just off their heads, you know, and, and that that changing room must have been just the most bonkers place on earth, uh, you know, the mix of characters that you had there, and Tate would have added to the nuttiness in in that changing room, you know, it's um. Uh, uh, but you know they they've all gradually you know passed on and and moved on from the Swans and sadly Tate is is another one. Um, obviously he goes to join Steve Cooper, um, former Swansea City manager. His first job since he left us in the summer. Um, what what what's your take on this? He's joining uh, a Forest team who were bottom of the league when he joined them. They've um, gone up a bit now after um, getting a couple of points in the last few weeks and. Um, Helped out by Derby's um, misfortune. Uh, I say misfortune. Their financial penalties. Um, you know, are you surprised that he's gone for a club like Forest, who seem to be in a bit of a bit of a hole and need a bit of rescuing? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, Forest is a, a great club, as as everybody knows. Really, I mean, it's it's a club with a, a great history, especially. And um, you know, it's it's interesting in some ways, isn't it? With with Cooper, you look at he decided to leave here because. He obviously thought that we weren't going to be as good this year, and that's that's probably fair. I w- I wouldn't dispute that. But then he's left for a job where a team are bottom of the league and go through managers like there's no tomorrow. So when you think in that sense, has he made a mistake? But maybe. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on because I think he's obviously taken a job in mid-September. The window doesn't open until January, and one of his big strengths has been bringing players in. But he's you know he, he's stuck with what he's got now for you know a reasonable period of time, isn't he? So. But I mean, as I said, they've been through a lot of managers. Chris Hooton's not somebody I'm particularly massive fan of, but his record is very good, and it didn't work for him. I mean, they were obviously Forest imploded, and that allowed us to get in the playoffs. Before that, I think Lamucci was in there, and that went wrong. I mean, there's there's been a lot of managers at Forest, hasn't there? And it's it does indicate to me that maybe there's problems behind the scenes because not everybody can keep getting it wrong. But um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he does. I mean, obviously, he's come out and said he likes his teams to play, you know, attractive attacking football in his press conferences. Well, 
Uh, I didn't see much of that down here, so he's, he's continuing to play that line, even though, in my opinion, it's complete codswallop. Um, but yeah, I think it will be interesting to see how he gets on. I mean, I, I you know, um, I've got no ill feeling towards him. He, he did do a reasonable job here, uh, in terms of results, at least. That's probably doing him a slight disservice, to be fair. But you know, I, I wasn't a, a massive fan. I, I didn't uh, shed any tears on his departure, but um. You know, we'll we'll see how he gets on. I guess it'll be. Uh, I think it's early December or mid December that we've got them, and then the last away game I think is is Forest. I mean, so I mean, if they don't pick up by then, I mean, we uh, we could be sending him down, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's an interesting one with Cooper, isn't it? I mean, he probably thought he maybe he was going to have a a fuller, more a West Brom job in the summer, but now he's ended up at Forest, who are obviously at bottom of the league. Yeah, and um, you said there about the the habit of going through managers. Um, obviously, we faced them in the playoff um, semi-finals ten years ago, um, and Billy Davis resigned um, pretty soon after um, their their defeat in that semi-final. Um, he'd been there for uh, two years. No manager has come anywhere close to that um, since since then. Um, just a quick, quick list of the managers they've gone through then. Steve McLaren, Steve Cottrell, Sean O'Driscoll, Alec McLeish, Rob Kelly, Billy Davis, Gary Brazil, Stuart, uh, Stuart Pierce, Dougie Friedman, Paul Williams, uh, Philippe Montagne, Gary Brazil again. Uh, some of these are caretaker managers. Mark Warburton, Gary Brazil again. Ito Karanka, uh, Simon Island, Martin O'Neill, Savri Lamushi, Chris Hutton. Stephen Reid took over as caretaker um, a couple of weeks back, and now Steve Cooper. I think it's fair to say that not many of those managers, especially the more recent ones, have gone on to better things uh, after they left Nottingham Forest. It's not the kind of club that usually you know managers use as a as an effective stepping stone when um, trying to further their career, is it? Um, I, t- I think it's a bit of a I think it's a bit of a risk from Cooper, if I'm being honest. Um, and I mean, what what was your take on um, Ian Holloway's comments um, in in uh, on, when he was appearing on Quest? He said Steve's had two seasons with an ex Premier League team with their parachute payments, and he left the minute their striker, who was on about seventy grand per week, left. Kind of indicating what you said there, Steve, that he he felt the writing was on the wall and felt, oh, I'm not going to be able to do my job here, but. Holloway's obviously indicating, Joe, you know what he had a lot going for him at Swansea, and you know, he, um, you know that that would have helped him, um, because a lot of the a lot of the takes on Cooper over the past few years has been that he's working with limited resources as well. A lot of us have disputed how limited those resources exactly were, but um, Ian Holloway obviously just has his um, has has his doubts about Steve Cooper. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? And um, you know, as as we've said previously, his yeah, we, our budget wasn't huge, but at the same time, we were carrying Andre, who was on an absolutely colossal wage for the division, and the manager was always allowed to bring players in. I mean, in, you know, a lot of them were on loan, but I mean, they were high-profile loan signings that he wanted. Um, you know, maybe they you could argue they should have signed a striker in the the January, but. At the same time, as I thought, we probably shouldn't have signed Jamal Lowe for me because he didn't really suit us. So, you know, and that was for a fee. So we could have put that to one side and bought an actual striker with that instead. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, because most people think that Cooper's done a brilliant job and we're a bunch of moaners who, who don't deserve uh, 
you know, don't deserve him and then probably deserve to have worse results and then it's been uh, be lectured to about, uh, oh, you know, be careful what you wish for and all this crap. But um, yeah, Holloway maybe isn't as convinced as others, which is quite interesting, really, because I think that's, that's sort of back in the trend, isn't it? Most people uh, like Steve Cooper and uh, think that we probably made a mistake and didn't appreciate him enough. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a game of opinions, isn't it? And they say, and obviously he's got one that maybe is slightly more in line with, uh, with some of the Swans fans than, uh, than what a lot of the media think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it uh, turns out for Cooper. Wish him luck, but um, he, he he may need it there um, because he's, he's got a pretty tough job at a club which isn't easy to manage at. Uh, let's look ahead to Swansea's upcoming games beginning midweek. Steve, you're going up to Fulham, Craven Cottage, um, a ground where we have got quite a lot of good um, recent memories anyway over the last 10 years. Um Last time we went there, we were sucker-punched with a, a late um, penalty. Um, slight controversy in that game in terms of uh, one or two refereeing decisions, which uh, did not go our well way. Um, hoping for uh, slightly better luck this time around. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, as, um, that's, I think that was the last away game I went to before the lockdown, that following one. And uh, yeah, the ref that night, uh, he lost his mind. I don't know what the hell he was doing. It's probably one of the worst referee in displays I can remember at any Swans game really um, but I mean this is going to be a tough game isn't it I mean uh, I remember reading earlier in the season that 40 million was spent in the summer in this division half of it spent by Fulham and obviously over a quarter of it was spent on Harry Wilson for example so it just shows you the sort of level that Fulham are going to be operating at compared to most other clubs and um, you know it's no surprise that they're you know t- towards the top of uh, the table um, I think it'd be a big surprise if they don't make the top six. I think they've, they've probably got a very chance of top two. So it's going to be a tough game for us, isn't it? I mean, um, I think if we were offered a draw right now, we'd uh, be very pleased, wouldn't we? We would, but I, I'll be honest, this game is slightly less terrifying now than it would, than it felt a couple of weeks back. One, because our results and, and performances have improved um, in, in that time. But two, you know, there have been... Um, a, f- a few questionable performances, um, or at least results from from Fulham. Um, I mean, they only dropped two points in their first five games, but but the last four games they've played, they've only won one of them, uh, and and drawn one and lost the other two. Um, and and they've been quite unexpected. I mean, they lost away at Blackpool, and Blackpool hadn't won a single game at that point. Um, they then beat Birmingham convincingly four one, but then lost really surprisingly at home to Reading. Um, and, and then they could only manage a draw at the weekend against Bristol City. I mean, you know, the the, the stats will tell you that they probably, you know, should have re- received far more points in these games. That they they've maybe been a bit unlucky, um, you know, haven't haven't taken their chances perhaps. But maybe you know a few signs over the last few weeks that this season isn't going to be quite as easy for Fulham as uh, uh, many of us expected it to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I did notice that myself. They had a, a few dodgy results, didn't they? Um, but I think the thing is, over a long season where they've, you know, got such a, a financial advantage, I think it's it's just so difficult to see them not being in there at the end. And I mean, I think it's the same for all the relegated ones. I mean, West Brom have had a good start, and they Sheffield United less so. They've they picked up some better results uh, recently. But and then I'm looking at another team who's got parachutes in Bournemouth, and I just think that those four, you know. I'd be surprised if any of them are not in the top six. It's, 
it, it does make it so much harder for for everybody else because there's just there's less money about, isn't there, um, at the moment because of all, all the whole COVID thing. So, you know, it's um, it, it really does make it difficult. I think those sides they could arguably maybe have managers that are not necessarily great, but like I'm not saying any of them do. For example, I mean, I I just think even then they'd probably get away with it because they've got such an advantage over the rest financially. Yeah, and, and when you look at the team that started in Fulham's last game against Bristol City, you know, you've got a good mix there of um, season championship performers and, and, you know, just just players who you know are going to add them quality. I mean, they've got just their midfield. I mean, the likes of Seri, who I remember him at Nice years ago, and he, he just looked like an absolute star in the making. You thought he was going to be playing for you know, Real Madrid or Barcelona, not for, for Fulham in the championship, you know, but he's he's had a really good start the season. Shalaba, who we know, you know, is a decent performer at this level. Harry Wilson, who, like you said, cost a fortune, and we know that he can be a game changer at this level. Josh Onema, who I really like. Bobby Decordova-Reed, who was clearly uh, far too much of a cultured footballer for Cardiff, so they sold him to Fulham. Uh, and then Mitrovic up front. We know what Mitrovic can do. He's just a, a brilliant striker. And you know, we spoke earlier about the way Swansea didn't have too many options to bring off the bench. Well, these are the players that the Fulham brought off the bench. You know, Harrison Reed, Niskins Cabano, and even Cavalero. All three of those are, are proven championship performers, you know, and they could bring those players off the bench and, and leave the likes of Joe Bryan, Alfie Mawson, um, um, Cavalio, um, was it Fabio Cavalio, young starlet on the bench? You know, they, they've got this strength in depth and they've got this quality running through the side that means pretty much every game they're going to be playing this season, they're going to be favourites. And, and it's going to be the same as well on Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you've just reeled off all those names now, haven't you? And it just shows you the, the challenge that, that we'll have and, and the most teams will have because. I mean, there's a lot of players there who are more than capable of holding their own in the Prem. And, and like I said, the other ones really are, are pretty standout players um, at this level, aren't they? And they have been on previous occasions. I mean, you look at Mitrovic as well in particular. I think he's he's done some damage against us a few times. And obviously, he's hurt Wales as well. So uh, that's a player that I hear his name and I'm instantly thinking, I hope he's not playing because he's a pain in the backside. But um, yeah, I mean, they've... When you've got the the type of advantage that they've got financially, then that's the result, isn't it? They've, they've got these quality players that you know. There's this guy sitting on the bench that walk into most teams in this division, isn't it? And that's what you know. That's what we're we're up against. And you think that I, I don't think it's going to change much over the next few years in terms of those relegated teams really are going to have quite a big advantage until the the market picks up again, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, from Swan's point of view, who would you like to see um, start the match against Fulham? Are there any players who didn't start against uh, Huddersfield who you think um, could maybe be um, in line for for a start at Craven Cottage? So that's a tough one, really. I mean, it's you want to reward everybody who's done well the weekend. I don't think anybody had a bad game, but at the same time, we've had so many games that you wonder should we maybe try and, and rotate slightly as well just to keep everything fresh. I mean, I'm looking at Cham and I'm thinking. Again, he's not lasted a full game. Do we need to take him out the firing line, for example? I mean, I'm not saying that I want to. Just more thinking that the the bigger picture in mind. Can he start both both this game and the game at um at Derby on Saturday? So we need to maybe consider one or two of those things. I mean, you know, Ryan Bennett was out the other day. I'm not sure if he's back. I mean, if he is, then you know it would be a, a decent shout to possibly bring him back in for 
somebody, someone like Norton, for example. Um, again, I'm not picking on him especially. It's just his name is, is Reese Williams, for example, going to come back in as well. Um, so I think there's there's definite decisions to be made there in terms of um, rotating, keeping people fresh, and making sure players are not not tired out really because there's such a hectic. Um, schedule in this league and some players will come in late in the day and they and Cham being a good example Patterson came in quite late didn't he so you know I mean does, does someone like Grimes need to be taken out I mean I think he's played pretty much every game so far I mean is he somebody that, that needs a rest for example I mean he, he could be um, in one of the next two games so I think they're the decisions that the manager has to think of he, he needs to maybe not just be thinking about this game maybe thinking about the future that you know even if we, we start with one or two in this game that Ideally, you wouldn't want to start. It wouldn't be in your best eleven. It's just a case of keeping people fresh and making sure we don't um, take chances with players on fitness so, and they pick up injuries because you know it is a long old season and um, you know sometimes you do have to just think about the bigger picture. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Fulham, by the way, um, third highest possession stats in the league uh, behind the Swans and and Sheffield United, who've gone top um, of the possession table, which um, will probably be. A great disappointment for Russell Martin. Um, likewise, they're third in the pass completion and they've got the most shots in the division. So it should be a really entertaining attacking game, um, whatever happens. Um, Prediction-wise, Steve, do, do you think we can uh, get a get a second win in a row away at Craven Cottage on Wednesday? Uh, I'd love to say yes, um, but I do think it's quite a big ask, really, isn't it? And um... I don't think we will. I think uh, the smart money is on a home win, really. Uh, so I'm going to say 2-0 to Fulham. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Joe, I'm going to go for 2-0 as well. That, that's what I had in mind. I think, you know, Fulham have dropped points over the last few games. But if you look at their, their performances, look at the chances they've created in those games, they, they probably shouldn't have um, lost um, any... Well, probably shouldn't have dropped many points in those four games. So... Uh, I can see them hitting back uh, on Wednesday night. But, you know, that, that form does give us a bit of hope. It just puts a little bit of extra pressure on uh, Fuller. Maybe, you know, it's uh, they're finding the championship a little bit more complicated than it seemed at the start of the season. And who knows, maybe the Swans can uh, can, can add to their recent troubles. Um, and, and then after Fulham, going to a t- completely different game, um, away at Derby on Saturday, who are bottom of the table, minus two points after they went into administration. Um, before we get talking about the game, Steve, I mean, the one thing everybody knows about Derby is that they are an absolute mess at the moment off the field. Um, they've gone into administration after circling that plug hole for a long time. Um, they've been, you know, under so many investigations over the over the last few years. Uh, very nearly went down last season. They've had to seriously cut back on their spending. Um, financial fair play has um, has bitten them very hard. It's you know that 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 club is uh, a difficult one to support at the moment for their fans, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it can't be easy, can it? But if I'm honest, I don't have a huge amount of sympathy for Derby because I look at Wickham and I think that they went down last year because of Derby, who arguably should have been. You know, penalised earlier. So, and so the funny thing with this, right? I was, I was speaking to a couple of friends about this. Do you almost wonder with Derby whether they would have been better just taking that hit and going down last year? Because I mean, what is it? They're on. Is it minus twelve? They're on now, and it, it could go more than that. And you're thinking to yourself, right? Well, you know, when you're on that 
when you get a deduction like that, you may well go down this year anyway. So then you're effectively delaying your progress by about a year when you could have just taken the hit in the first place. So, you know, it's it's a tough one, isn't it, for Derby? I mean, I, I feel for their supporters and for the people working behind the scenes there because they're the people that are, are really suffering, aren't they? And I mean, you know, I, I don't have a great deal of sympathy for Derby as a club because I think they've pulled the wool over the authorities' eyes a few times, haven't they? Or well, certainly that's the impression that's been given. Um, were they the first team, for example, to do the old trick of... Um, sell the ground and, and lease it back because I know I a few clubs have done that haven't they? Yeah I don't know if they're the first to have done it but um, they're, they're probably the most they're one of weren't they? Yeah I mean Sheffield it's quite a recent rule that you can do that and a lot of the clubs that have done it have got themselves into a lot of trouble over it. Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, I think Reading have done it as well you know it's um, uh, because they've they've obviously you know sold it at at a rate which um, which wasn't reflective of of the ground's actual value um, as, as a means of kind of circumventing uh, financial fair play rules which um, is quite naughty and uh, a lot of these clubs have been caught for it um, it's uh, I guess um, some um, some uh, creative accounting I think um, they they'd call it um, it's yeah they, I mean like you said it, there are clubs who you know, just fall into financial difficulties through kind of bad luck as much as, as bad management. Um, and then you have a club like Derby who, you know, obviously you don't want their fans to to suffer, um, but but th- their problems have not been through um, a lack of money. It's, if anything, it's been through having too much money. They've tried to buy um, success. They've tried to cheat the system to buy that success. Um, and then in trying to kind of, make amends for that you know they've um they they've they've ended up in in this mess really they've tried to cut back but it's just been too late and and you know the, as as their kind of uh their misdemeanors were being uncovered they've um they, they've gradually come to the realization that all these years have um have caught up with them um like i said it's very different to a wigan situation um Derby just got too close to the sun. They they tried their luck and and they got caught out. Um, you know, other clubs have risked everything on promotion. They've they've spent big and and they've won that promotion, which meant they they didn't have to um, um, suffer the, those same consequences as Derby have done. But but really, it 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 was irresponsible on their part. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were um that that they were playing with fire and. They knew that if they didn't go up, that it would eventually catch up with them, and and that's what happened. And I think if any if any good has come out of this, it is the clubs. I think um, are, are learning now from clubs like Derby. They are learning not to just gamble everything on promotion and to cut their cloth accordingly and and run their club sustainably, um, and, and in a way that doesn't break financial fair play rules. And you know that that does mean that the spending power of championship clubs is much less than it has been traditionally. But, but it, it is, it does mean the clubs are trying at least to run their, their themselves much more sustainably, which in the long run is going to be um, good for, um, for football in this country. Um, but in the meantime, we have got clubs like Derby, or you've, you've seen Reading um, facing uh, a, a likely points deduction too for, you know, the same kind of thing, just just poor management and rolling the dice and overspending. Um, you know, hopefully there are lessons to be learned from these clubs. Um, and, you know, hopefully Derby come out at the other end of this. Um, I, I don't think there's 
an obvious, you know, when a club goes into administration, you're obviously going to worry about its future. But with Derby, you know, it's not a lack of money that's been responsible for this. It, you know, it, it, there's a viable club there that, that just needs a good owner to run it responsibly. And um, it, you get the feeling that that now that they are in administration and there isn't going to be a massive asking price for, for the club, that, that somebody is going to come along and buy it. And you just hope that that person is the right person for the club and that they can actually get them on a, uh, on the straight and narrow and um, looking upwards again. But I think they're going to have to go down to League One before that happens because, I mean, they've had a 12-point deduction. Um, they're going to possibly face another points deduction. There, there's no hope of Derby County staying up, is there, Steve? You wouldn't have thought so, would you? I mean, for them to stay up, they're going to have to, you know, have the type of points tally that would get you in the top six, basically. Yeah. They're going to have to win over 70 points, you would have thought. So, you know, I actually don't think they're a bad side. I mean, I, I, I had Quest on the other week and they they played um, Stoke at home and they beat them. They, they seem to be playing quite nice football in all fairness as well. So, I don't think it's actually affected them massively at, at this stage and they... I think on paper, I think without a deduction, they're probably not a bad side, and they, I'm not sure they would go down. But I mean, when you're talking about points deductions, especially the fact that there could be another one coming, it, it just seems very unlikely, doesn't it, that they're they're going to get out of it? So yeah. it's, it's it's a poison chalice, really, isn't it, for for Wayne Rooney and his his first managerial job? But there's just not really a lot you can do about it. Is it? It's a, it's not really down to him. It's. Uh, it's a management uh, issue behind the scenes, and they've, like I said, they've, they've lived beyond their means and um, trying to chase the dream backfired. And um, yeah, the, this is the consequences, isn't it? Yeah, and and you you mentioned Rooney there. In fairness, I mean, I I'm not Rooney's biggest fan. I I thought you know I've I've never been a, a, a massive Rooney fan when he was a player. I you know whisper it quietly. I thought he was. Yeah, obviously a fantastic player, but I thought he was um, overrated to some extent. I think he should have done much. I think he, not much better, but I think he was capable of doing better with his playing career. Um, and you know, he has his, he had his issues as well uh, off the pitch, etc. Wasn't his biggest fan, I'll, I'll be honest. And as a, and I never ever thought that he would be a good manager. I never looked at Rooney and thought that he had the capability to be a manager. Um, never struck me as particularly intelligent. I'll be honest. <laughs> it was. Um, you know, um, I uh, and he was a bit of a surprise pick for me when when he was um, given the Derby job. But in fairness to Rooney, I think considering the tough cards that he's been dealt this season, last season I I don't think he did particularly well, but this season I think he's done very very well considering the the, the tough situation that he's got there. And certainly since Derby have um, gone into uh, administration, I think we've seen a different side to Rooney and um, seen that actually he's. Um, got a maturity that possibly I didn't I didn't think he had, um, and um, yeah, I, th- I think he's come come out of this better than anybody really. Yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? I mean, he said he's not gonna gonna walk away, didn't he? And he cited his upbringing, which was you know quite tough and a you know a rough area of Liverpool, and showing that you you don't walk away from things. And you know, fair play to him, but you know, I think from from his point of view as well, managerial. I mean, he, you know it. it it's a tough test for him what he's going through now, but at the same time, you can't really blame him for what's gone on. So, you know, he'll gain a lot of experience from this, and you know, I don't think he's going to get fired, for example, because you know, can is someone else going to come in and and do that much better? I mean, you you really wouldn't have thought so, and you know, they won't want to pay him up either. So, 
you know, I think he'll come regardless of what happens, even if he was to walk away at some point. Um, you know, his his reputation will will probably have still been enhanced because you can't really judge somebody off this situation, can you? Because you know, regardless of what he does or doesn't do, they they probably look like a doomed club, don't they? And certainly in terms of uh, to this season, anyway. Yeah, it, it's very difficult to see how they can uh, get out of this situation. Um, and, but like you said, I mean, the, the the starting lineup actually it doesn't look that bad. I mean, it's you know it it's not a, a, a it's a team that you probably expect to be battling relegation, but it's it's not the we've seen far worse starting lineups in uh, in the championship than you know this was the team against Sheffield United, Keller Rose, Nathan Byrne, Phil Jagielka, Curtis Davis, Buchanan, left back Shinny Bed. Uh, Tom Lawrence, Sibley, Mo- um, Ravel Morrison, who seems to be doing okay there, and then Sam Baldock. You know there are some decent players there, not n- not too many special players, but you know they they're an okay side. I think it's the strength and depth that could really make uh, this a difficult season for Derby if they have too many more injuries, um, you know, or, or tiredness kicks in, then um, you know that 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 team could disintegrate quite quickly. Um, but what they are is very, very, very tough to score against. They've only scored, uh, sorry, they've only conceded eight goals this season and only Bournemouth and Coventry have conceded fewer. So Saturday's visit is going to be a very difficult one for us, isn't it, Steve? Because we have struggled to break down teams who've parked the bus and, uh, you know, just sat back deep so far this season. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, it's probably difficult for Derby in some ways to know it. To not do that because they've got Jaggy, like I was about 39, and then Curtis Davis is about 36 or 37. So, you know, you think of it like that. There's a lot of good experience there, but, you know, they're not going to be the quickest today. And I'm I'm looking at that and thinking to myself, well, is, is Oberfemi going to be, you know, fit? And if, if he is, even if it's for Wednesday, do you just hold him back? Because, you know, with, with his pace, I think he could cause uh, some problems against them. So, but it's to be fair to Darby, as you say, they've. You know, they haven't conceded many goals yet, have they? So, you know, they, they have done well with, with what they've got, I think. And it'll be an, an interesting one, I think, on uh, on the weekend. I think it's uh, it's one of them. It's, it's quite a tough one to call. Yeah, I, I said they've um, obviously only uh, conceded eight goals. Um, they've only they've also only scored, I think, what, six goals? Um, and only Hull have, uh, have scored fewer. Um, and their top scorer is actually Curtis Davis. Um, so, you know... You'd be very. How dis- the hell have Hull scored fewer out of interest? Didn't they uh, score four on the opening day? They've barely yeah, scored sco- since, have they? They've scored four on the opening day, and they scored one against Sheffield United uh, the day that we drew against Preston. And those are the only goals they've scored. Which oh um, you'd have to be worried. That's well, they've got Josh McGuinness up front as the lone striker. You know, you're not going to get many goals out of him, are you? Um, it's um, yeah, you'd be worried if you were a Hull fan. But yeah, they've remarkably scored fewer goals than Derby, who um, you know. You look at their attacking options, it does make sense that they wouldn't score too many goals. And and they are concentrating, I think, on just making it tough for the opposition, um, playing it quite safe, and then just trying to snatch goals when they can, either from set pieces or, you know, goals on the breakaway. Um, two of their goals, I think, came against um, Derby, uh, against Hull, sorry, actually. Um, now that I think about it. I think. Yeah, they scored two against Stoke as well, Derby did, I think. There we go. They, they don't score many, though. So, you know, you, you'd hope that we, you know, I think it's going to be difficult for us to win it. It's going to, you know, we're going to have to break down a, 
um, a very solid lineup. But you, you'd think that we should have what it takes to avoid defeat, shouldn't you? It would be very disappointing if we went there and lost to this Derby team. Yeah, I think it would be. I mean, especially because we've got Fulham, which is a game that, you know, we, in all likelihood, we're, we're not expecting to get anything from. So you're looking at Derby then and thinking, well, we, we'd like something from this, at least just to, uh, you know, we don't want to go into the international break. And, of course, the game uh, against the club that we can't stand uh, on the back of two defeats in a row. So, yeah, we'll. I think we should definitely be looking to to get something from this game. I think if we don't, we will be a bit frustrated, really, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. With that in mind, you know, um, can I tempt you into a prediction? Do you think that we've got what it takes to 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 learn from the mistakes of uh, well, not mistakes, but learn from games like Hull and and Millwall, where we we did struggle to break down that that deep lying defence. Uh, and that tightly packed midfield. Do we, do we have what it takes this time around to go to somewhere like Derby um, and, and score against one of the toughest defenses in the in the league in the in the opening weeks of the season? Um, I, I definitely think we can score against them, whether we will or not is debatable. Um, prediction wise, I'm going to sit on the fence. I'm going to say one all. I'm going to say that we are going to squeeze a one nil win out of this game. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, now that we are finding, you know, a bit of creating a bit more um, and playing with a bit more energy going forward, then I'm hoping that we will be able to find a way of breaking them down. But it it definitely won't be easy. And, and I think we'd, um, yeah, we, we it would be a very good win if we could get it. It's easy to look at Derby at bottom of the league and with their troubles and say this is a game that we really should win. Um, but but I actually think it's going to be a very difficult clash, and if we can get a win away at Derby, I think that would be a heck of a result. Uh, and like you said, it would put us on a great course going into uh, the international break, knowing that our first game back is against the Dar- against Cardiff in the Derby. So um, that's something we've got to look forward to at a future podcast. Hopefully, our form continues. Uh, to, uh, well, improve as it has, and hopefully theirs continues to decline ahead of that match. But uh, a long way to go until then. So um, hopefully you can join us for our next podcast. Hopefully we'll have some good results to look back at. But until then, thank you very much for joining us. (laughs) 